This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. And right then I knew that I needed to change my way even more that I needed to leave. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered. Free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens. Free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. Eve Clark is a spunky and feisty retiree. This powerhouse, differently able diva was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 24 years ago and a lung disease nearly two years ago. And that hasn't stopped her from traveling the world. Eve has traveled to over 44 countries. She and the love of her life, Melvin, made their first stop on their, and I love this, retirement world tour to Chiang Mai, Thailand. But plot twist, thanks to COVID-19, Eve and Melvin have been stuck in Bali. And that is where she joins me today. Welcome to Blacks Global, Eve. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to have this conversation because being able to shine a light on retirees and how they move abroad and their journey, also giving the perspective of differently able people is something that I'm equally passionate and excited about. So I'm so excited that you're here. I found your story for so many reasons to be really inspirational. Your background is in general construction and you were a president and general contractor, which is a pretty big deal. <laughs> so tell me about that that part of your life. I'm originally from, from Chicago. I moved to Dallas, uh, the Dallas area, um, about, I guess, say 19 years ago. During that time when I moved there, um, I was feeling slightly better. So I decided to try to get a job. And I started working for a company that did facility repairs for major corporations. And due to the nature of my illness, I knew that I would never retire from that company. I needed to start something on my own that would somewhat give me a little bit more flexibility to deal with my condition. And that's when I started my own construction company. So I'm actually a general contractor by trade and had my own company uh, for 12, 13 years before I retired. I was very good in in terms of what I did for the company that I worked for in that area, so to speak, uh, and made friends in the industry and some former clients 
of my then employer uh, had told me, hey, if you ever start your own business, I'll make sure you never go hungry. And that's really what what helped me say, you know what, I can literally do this Uh, and did. You know, I say I wanted to start my own company so I could have more control over my life. But in the type of construction I started first doing, your your clients control your life. Your clients, um, I'm in construction, so my contractors, subcontractors that work for me, their problems become your problem. And if you're dealing with small business specifically, that family's problem at the plumber's office becomes your problem. When he doesn't have a babysitter or the daycare is closed, his wife is sick, there's his wife's in an accident, or his staff has problems, that all becomes your problem as well. So you you have a little bit more flexibility, but a lot more stress. Um, and during that time, I evolved my company into the type of construction we were doing. Uh, one of my clients um, was a major, let's say, freight carrier. And so they're open 24-7. If there's a storm somewhere, it doesn't matter where it is in the United States, that's my problem now because something's going to happen to that building. So it's just very, those buildings, they had hundreds of facilities around the country, really around the world. It's a global corporation. Um, and I quickly decided uh, myself and a business partner that, hey, yo, we, we, we need to do something that's more get in, build it, and get out move on to the next one. So we phased ourselves from construction repair of major corporations and facilities to more brick and mortar work. Um, And one of the ways to segue into how I became retired, I became very ill because one of my clients shafted me out of a big major construction contract, over $300,000. And within two hours, I could barely see and couldn't walk. See, multiple sclerosis finds a way of shutting down parts of your body because it deals with your central nervous system. And so I spent 30 days in the hospital and six months in full time rehab. And right then I knew that I needed to change my way even more, that I needed to leave. I could not continue to do this. I needed to phase my construction down into a way where I didn't have to be more on site on a project and where I could do more project management work, which means I could do that from anywhere. So after I went back to work, I phased into yet again a different type of construction. And that helped me get to where I am right now to being retired. Just being able to live your life by design and redesign your business. uh, I just love that. Things happen and you've got to be able to shift your life or be prepared if you don't have a solid foundation. You know, I called it, remember I said construction work is feast or famine because of how long it takes to get a project, especially if you are the general on project. I'm not just the carpenter or just the electrician or just the plumber. So to manage a whole project, the life cycle tends to be a little bit longer. So you have to be a little bit more patient in that. And all those things kind of helped us in dealing with being an expat and living someplace else because you got to know how to be able to pivot because things are fast changing and you're in a situation that you can't control. You do not control that government of that new country you live in and you pretty much have no rights. No matter what type of visa you have, you are still there at the pleasure of that country and you have to learn to temper yourself to deal with it. 
the way we determined where will be our eventual retirement home was really based on my condition. It was based on me having multiple sclerosis. My lung disease has played a small part. I have a lung disease called bronchiectasis, and it's played a small part in some decisions, but the major part was we picked Costa Rica to be our permanent retirement country. And that's purely based off of the fact that it's the number two place in the world to get treatment for multiple sclerosis. So I know that I could have a long lasting life there in Costa Rica in proximity to the United States and proximity to doctors that I might need to get back to Texas quick and easy, right? Quick, easy and relatively inexpensive. Um, and that's how we picked that country. Well, first it was that area of the world, and then it was narrowing it down to that country because it checks some boxes. But as we were determining that, we decided, you know, we can take a little time and travel for some years before we get there. And that's how we eventually ended up in Thailand for it to be our first pit stop on our little world tour. We'll be right back. Moving is right up there with death and divorce in the Stress Olympics. But fear not, turn that box of woes into a crate of woes with moving tips in the Life Beyond Boxes podcast with Premium Q Moving. Dive into the world of hassle-free moves, learn tips and tricks to save on cash and your sanity. Say goodbye to those moving meltdowns and hello to the smooth sailings. Or should we say smooth movings? Tune into Life Beyond Boxes with Premium Q Moving on lifebeyondboxes.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. And with us, unpack the secrets to a stress-free move. Yeah, so let's talk about the Retirement World Tour. <laughs> you started that journey with your husband, Melvin, in 2019, and you talked about how you guys decided to go to Chiang Mai for your first stop. How was Chiang Mai? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, Chiang Mai is amazing, and I can't tell you how much uh, I miss it. I miss the country. I, I miss my house that was there. I miss my my local friends. I miss my new travel expat buddies and friends. Such an amazing place. But it also teaches you, I guess, it taught me that as I'm a traveler, my friends are travelers. And right now we're in so many different places. Not everybody's still in Chiang Mai, right? A lot of people, some people had to go to America right quick. Some people left America and went to Turkey, went to Albania. Uh, some people are stuck in China. So you just have those connections. Whereas I also am in love with the community that we got, what, that we made while we were there. So when you're traveling to different countries and you're thinking about healthcare, step me through your decision tree. Well, I will say I had the, the pleasure of being hospitalized in Thailand while I was there. Uh, I had checked out a lot of their health care before we arrived there and knew that they had a pretty solid health care system in Thailand. They do lots of medical tourism. So I knew it would be a great place for us to be for our Southeast Asia location um, based off of our my medical needs and access to care. That said, we also, before we left, we planned with my doctors, had all of my tests done, a battery of tests. I also worked with my insurance company to get uh, a waiver to take six months of medication with me there. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that you can you can get three months quite easily, but you can also ask your doctor and the pharmacy to approve you for six months on what's called a vacation waiver. And I did that as well. And then 
In addition to that, I had friends and family that came to visit us every 30 days in Thailand. Somebody was coming from America. So when I needed my next set of medicine, I would send it to my son and then he would take it to the person who was coming to visit me next. So it just worked out perfect. And he himself ended up coming to visit me. Him, his girlfriend, my granddaughter, my mother, my sister, her boyfriend, they all came to visit me uh, in March in Thailand. I think what prepared them was the fact that, remember I said I'm from Chicago, um, but I left there about 18, 19 years ago. Um, and so um, I was the youngest in my family. I was already gone. It's not much differently because when I left, I told them I'm not the person that's coming back for every baby shower, graduation. I'm not coming. So don't get, think you can just keep pick up the phone and I'm going to just drop everything and come up here. They weren't used to seeing me, but once, maybe twice a year. Only exception was if my mother was majorly ill, I could be there in less than 24 hours and, and had done that before. But generally, they were already used to that. They were used to the fact that I traveled the world already. So when I said I was ready to leave, their response was, is the house big enough for us to come visit? And that they did. <laughs> so many people, when they're thinking about making a black sit, moving abroad, they, and maybe not because someone has said it to them, but mentally get tripped up with, oh, if I leave my family and friends, you know, they're going to have a hard time and, you know, my kids or my grandkids and they'll need me. And it's clear that with you, you set the ground rule, you set the tone of how you wanted to move abroad. And then they got on the bandwagon with you. They did. Yeah. And they had six years of me planning. It wasn't an overnight decision. It was six years of me putting things in place and downsizing my life and changing my business that they had plenty of time to get used to it. Even my granddaughter, the youngest one is two. She just turned two um, in September. So when they arrived at my home, um, she was asleep. So they put her in my arms and they went ahead and, and unloaded, you know, finished unloading the vehicle. Well, when she woke up, she saw me. And so she was touching my face like she touches my face in the phone with <laughs> <laughs> video chat. So she's like, Nana, is that you? Is oh, how sweet. How yeah. sweet. So I stay really connected to my technology has made it so it is far easier to move away and still be connected with my family. So to them, it's no dip. Me being on the other side of the world is really no different than me being in Texas. It's not like back in the day where, you know, you write a handwrite a letter and put it in the mail and it takes you know whatever it takes to get there so I love that I love that let's switch gears because you have a co-captain in life Melvin the love of your life so how have you two managed you know charting out your path he was just all on board he was like let's do this and, and we did um and we pretty much, we've been married for 12 years. No, 11 years we've been together for 12. <laughs> I had to think about that. Uh, we've been together for, I guess, 13 years, yeah. And we've been married for 11. And he's pretty much been on board ever since. I, I think we both knew that we were in it to win it when I asked him to go with me on one of my construction projects. And uh, we drove down to, I want to say, I believe it was uh, Mississippi or Alabama in that area, from from Texas after a hurricane and the place that we were going to see um, the hotel was just gone we arrived in the middle of the night and it was gone 
we had to scramble and find some other arrangements at a smaller motel hotel type deal. We both managed to stay there and I got up in the morning and we were able to get my work done and that I had the project. I had to survey and go back. I was like, yeah, he's in it to win it because we are down for blue jeans or ball gowns. You name it, we are there together. Hotel, motel, or a five-star luxury resort, we can manage. So that let me know early on that, yeah, we, we are a good match. And we are also polar opposites. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm an extrovert. And he is an introvert. But it, it works. <laughs> it really does. Oh, wow. That is so great. That is so great. It's like the yin and the yang. I love it. Knowing that, you know, Melvin is, you know, your co-captain in life, your ride or die. This is no surprise that he had to, and you had to, adjust to a big challenge. I know you guys were in Chiang Mai, and now you're in Bali in the middle of a pandemic. So tell me a little bit about that particular yeah. challenge. One of the things is also it was health driven. My my health issues caused us to have to leave Thailand, but it was planned. We had always planned to right after my family left that we were going to be gone for about a month because in Thailand, specifically in Chiang Mai, they have what's called burning season or smoky season where they burn the forest for uh, to make the ground more fertile, I believe, for mushrooms. Well, it's it's just horrible. It had, they have the number one worst air quality in the world for about eight weeks out of the year, six to eight weeks out of the year. It's just horrible. Um, and so we had already planned to leave. Um, in fact, many of my friends had said I was leaving too late. Uh, my local friends in Thailand, they thought I needed to leave much earlier. And I said, well, I can't. You know, my family's coming. So my family left March 8th. My son was on the absolute last flight that United had out of Thailand before they shut it down. And we were scheduled to leave uh, the following week. Things happened so rapidly. We we had planned to go to uh, Malaysia, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Australia, and to Indonesia, here to Bali. That was our plan for a month. We woke up when we had, we had changed our tickets around as things started to rapidly get shut down. And we're like, okay, we'll just go to Malaysia. But we bought the tickets, woke up in the morning. Malaysia had immediately said that they were closing down. So those tickets were no good. Then we're like, oh, okay, well, I guess. we. And by now, it's becoming harder and harder for me to breathe even inside of my home. Right? Oh, my and gosh. So we're like, we got to go. So we were managed to go to Indonesia. We got into Jakarta. The day after we arrived in Jakarta, they shut the airport down for to international travel. <gasps> and the following week, we were scheduled to leave Jakarta and come to Bali. And the day that we arrived in Bali, the next day, the entire country shut down. There was no travel by plane, by bus, by ferry, everything. And then we've been here ever since. Oh, my goodness. Not how you envision this happening. <laughs> oh, no, because we came with a small carry-on suitcase. And a little small briefcase, like a uh, little bag. That was it. And we've been here for seven months. And we didn't have one each. It was just one for us to share. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And again, when it happened, we had friends. A lot of them had left for smoky season. So they were out of the country. Some had went home for, for weddings. Some had went home for some medical procedures. And everybody got stuck out. Can't come back. 
So how do you deal with that from a medication standpoint? Because I know you mentioned that you had six months of medication, you've had family, you know, or friends bring your medication. So how are you managing through that? We knew that I could get same meds here locally, and that's what we were able to do. Oh, so, wonderful. Yeah, so it all worked out. I've been relatively healthy. I mean, I've had to have some emergency teeth extractions here. Not a big deal. Managed to get it done. I needed uh, meds that I couldn't get. Their pharmacy, you can get almost everything over the counter. Um, what? Except, yeah, most things you need a prescription for. You just walk in. I need my blood pressure medicine. And it's like, what do you need? And I tell them, they just hand it to you. So you don't even need a script. And what about health insurance? Do you have to have that? It's just cash. No, you could just pay for it cash. I mean, my medicines that might have been two, three hundred dollars in America here. It's like five dollars. Wow. Same thing in Thailand. In Thailand, I ended up in the hospital. I fell in the shower and they thought I had fractured my hip. And so I ended up being there for a while. And they were like, how are you paying for this? We're like cash because I had already researched how much a hospital stay was there. And I was there for three days and my stay was like $1,200 and 600 of it was for the MRI that I had to have of my hip. What? That's Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, in the States, a prescription can cost you three, $400. And we have people who go into bankruptcy because they have, you know, a two day hospital stay. Or what have you. And my mind goes to all those people that are impacted by the pandemic and on ventilators for weeks at a time. I think coming out of that will be, in my opinion, a tsunami of bankruptcies because our healthcare system is really broken. Yeah, here in this side of the world that we're on now, it's just very different. And even like now, since we've been here for quite a while, the policy that I'm thinking of of picking up now is like $1,200 for the year, but it's 100% coverage for hospitalization, wow. doctors visit, zero deductible. They don't, it doesn't even have a deductible, and it's it's good all over Southeast Asia. It's good everywhere except the United States, which doesn't matter there because I have still insurance coverage in the States. Hmm. Let's talk about, you know, you talked about a couple of things, talked about medical tourism and, you know, the differences in cost of living. Is that one of the reasons for you why you decided to retire abroad versus retiring in the States? Oh, it is definitely all cost of living driven. I want to travel, right? I, I have a love of traveling and seeing different things on my retiree budget that we're on, I could live in the States, but I couldn't live in the States. So abroad, it just affords us better opportunities to be able to still travel and go to different places in a manner I would not be able to on the retirement budget that we planned on having. Remember I said it was a six-year journey to it, making sure we hit certain financial goals. And the goals that we hit, I wouldn't be able to live as comfortable in the United States as I can live abroad. Wow. Gosh. So let's talk about Bali for a bit. 
uh, now that you've been stuck <laughs> temporarily, how have you guys managed the time there? You know, um, have you been able, I'm guessing you visited before. Um, it's very different here now. And for the first couple of months that we were here, everything was closed down. And I do mean everything. So you could just eat <laughs> um, in just a very few places. Um, I think even the beaches were closed. They opened up July 9th. And we've been here since March 19th. So that was a, a lot of time to be able to do nothing but sit in your hotel room, go to the pool, take a walk, come back. Same thing every day, every day. Um, then in July, like I said, things started to open up. Uh, and as things opened up, we started to go visit places. But you're, you're thinking of places that would normally have thousands of people at a temple we go there and we'd be the only person there or we'd go to a restaurant and we'd be their only customer of the day. Um, once the spas open, I started going to the spas to get massages. I'd be the only customer for two, three weeks in a row. Whoa. So the think about how their economy is not just here. It's on a global level, how economies have been impacted and Bali happens to their their GDP is based off of tourism. So it's 80% of tourism is gone in this country. So for them, it's hard. Now, I might complain about being a little bored, but I'm still eating, drinking. This pandemic hasn't done anything to my budget. The resort that we're staying in is 80% off. So it's, it's, it's $250 a month for, for what? To live. What complaints would I have? None. None. Wow. And I really don't have a right to have any, considering what is going on for people here locally and people around the world. We are still living a very comfortable life. So, you know, boredom be damned, really. I can still find things to do in this community. And we do. We, we, go, we walk, you know, try to get a little exercise in. We like to patronize the same small local establishments, you know, to, to help them out and help them stay open. Um, I mentioned that we came here with hardly no clothes. So we've gotten some clothes made from a tailor. And we also don't haggle. You know, I'm in a haggle country, right? If you tell me something is, is $5, I'm giving you $5. Yeah, could I really get it for two? I should, probably could. But is it worth it? Like, is that $2 going to make or break me? Um, we don't have a car, but we use car service. We do, Like Uber, they have a system here called Grab. So if my ride is a dollar, I'm going to tip them $2 in the system because I was their only customer of the day. Sometimes we're their only customer for two weeks. Oh, it's so devastating to hear what the impact has had to Bali, you know, and I wasn't aware of how much their GDP depends on tourism. And you're right, you know, when you're in a position to pay it forward, that's what you do. You do the right thing, because to your point, these people may not be able to fully recover for quite some time. I know Bali is, is planning to open up in 2021 and we'll continue to see how that uh, evolves, but it's definitely a challenging situation. From a pandemic perspective, have you felt any level of anxiety with managing the pandemic in Thailand versus anywhere else in the world? No, because of my conditions, my autoimmune system is very compromised. 
So I was wearing masks and sanitizing stuff before it was sexy, right? I was already doing these things because if I catch a cold from somebody or germs, it turns into pneumonia. And then I'm sick for a month where somebody else might be sick for a week. I'm sick for a month, maybe two months. So I was already in my own little mini pandemic, right? I'm already living that way. So the fact when the pandemic came, in and of itself does not scare me the same way it scares other people because I'm already a, a germaphobe. I already have to be protective of my environment. So it's once everybody goes back to normal life for them, I will still be doing the same thing. So it wouldn't have been a problem for me no matter where I'm at in the world, whether I'm on a plane, a train, a restaurant eating, it doesn't matter. I always still have the same level of what I needed to do to protect myself from from germs. You know, my lungs only function at 50 percent capacity and they'll never get any better. In fact, they'll probably get worse. So I'm still protective of my environment, but I don't have to just sit in a bubble in one room. How have you seen or what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about moving abroad, whether retiring abroad or a differently abled person who's thinking, I don't know, I'm on the fence what would you say, what advice would you give or words of inspiration and encouragement? The biggest part is have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And you always have to understand that. One, you're a guest in their country. I don't care what visa you have, because there's people that have had a bona fide retirement visa um, for Thailand. Everything they own is there. They've lived there for 25 years. They went home for a funeral and can't come back. They aren't allowed back in the country. So you're stuck somewhere. In America, you went for a funeral. You don't live there. So you're staying in a hotel. You're you're paying, but while you're still maintaining your property where you live, you got a car, you got a motor scooter, you got utilities to pay in the country that you cannot come back into. And then you, you need to have emergency funds available should you either get caught out Or if you have a problem in the country in which you're in, um, they can decide at any time to revoke your visa, even while you're in country. So you need to make sure that you, one, are investigating the countries that you are potentially want to move to. Investigate the types of visas they have, because we see around the Internet sphere, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, what have you, of questions of, is this a good country for me to move into? Or should I move to this country? How much money do I need to have for this country or or to move? So first of all, first and foremost, what kind of visa are you looking at to have to move to that country? How long do you plan to stay in that particular country? That determines what countries fit that profile. Are you retired? Are you working? Are you a nomad? Like, how do you get your money? Port yourself, one. Two, what's the visa situation like? And what visa do you qualify for, right? If you're under 50 and trying to move, there's a small or limited amount of visas available to you. And people need to do more of that research before they solicit information on how a particular country is. And I won't even, I don't have children, so I can't touch upon 
the school aspect of it, but that's important. And another major thing is how you get your money and how you access your money. I'm a firm believer in you need to have your money or be prepared to have your money when you leave in more than one place. You need credit cards, more than one credit card company, right? Because you can get compromised and then it could be weeks or a month before you get a new card sent to you. Then if one bank locks you out because they think it's fraud because you're getting your money out in Portugal, but it's actually you and they lock you down. But what if that bank isn't available because of the time difference? for you to be able to talk to them right then and there for them to turn it on. So you need to have your money in one, two, or maybe even three banks. And then another part of that, is there anybody that you trust in America to be able to access your money or your accounts for you on your behalf when you're in another country and you maybe can't communicate with them? Or maybe, you know, like I'm in a 12-hour time difference. So if I want to actually talk to one of my banks, I got to stay up late to talk to them. Or if it's one particular bank, I send my son a message and say, call them and tell them I need this or that. And he can do that. We put him on our safe deposit box before we left. I put him on one of my bank accounts and we've added him to two of our credit cards. So if there is any problem, they can, he can always act on our behalf. And in fact, some of our accounts have been compromised since we've been here. We had to get new cards And I was like, just hold them, just hold them, just hold them. And when he had a gaggle of cards, then we paid 60 bucks to have him overnight them to me. And overnight meant two weeks later (laughs) for me to get them. Because at first the plan was, oh, you know what? My buddy is in America. He's going to be coming back to to Chiang Mai. So you could just send them to him and he could bring them to me. But then what happened? The pandemic happened. Right. So after my son had maybe four or five cards, <laughs> I said, OK, I guess you got enough of them now. You can just send me. But, uh, you know, it's two of us. It's me and my husband. So we both have cards on each account. So if one gets compromised, it don't matter because we got the other one. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we can afford to wait for the replacement one to come. But also think about how you get your money. I can't impress upon anybody listening how important it is to take care of your financial matters before you leave and how you access money because things happen with technology all the time. You're absolutely right. And I am one of those people who, before I started Blacksit Global, realized that by the time I make my Blacksit, I'll be in in that area, that gray area that you were saying, like under 50 and having a limited amount of options on how to enter another country. But you're right, when you do your due diligence in the upfront before you start to ask questions, the rest will allow you to be able to devise a strategy or multiple strategies to help you in your journey. In Thailand, I was very busy before we left to come there. And we was like, oh, when we went to get our visa at the Royal Thai uh, consulate in Chicago, they had a little requirement that we needed a blood test, a TB test. And it couldn't be the visible TB test. It had to be a blood test that we had to wait seven days for the results for them to sign our paperwork. We didn't have seven days. <gasps> and so I said, no big deal, because I'll just get the visa when we get to Thailand. In that matter of time, they changed the rules on how you show your 
financial wherewithal to them. Now you need to have $25,000 or 800 Thai bot in a bank account there that you can't access for six months. Well, some people's money done went missing or a little bit of it. We didn't feel comfortable with that. But that rule changed. You used to be able to go to the American embassy in Thailand and present your papers, your financial documents, and they would swear that, yes, they make this amount of money and send that paper to the embassy or the consulate in Thailand. They stopped doing that. All of this happened within the month before it was time for me to go there. But for us, it didn't really matter because Thailand was never our end-all, be-all location. We knew that we still had the option to, as some people say, country hop, Mm-hmm. Because we had planned already every month or every other month to leave and go on a vacation because that was the whole purpose of being there. So when they changed the visa requirements for retirement, it didn't matter to me. Just like here in Indonesia, they kept changing after the pandemic came, not just here, everywhere. They changed how you have visa amnesty or what you can do. But we always had a backup country that we could go to. Um, as soon as the pandemic is deemed over here and they stop having visa amnesty. But we had to be prepared for that. That was that plan A, B, and C that you have to have. Those are just examples of how they can be important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So as we start to wrap up, do you have an idea of when you may be returning to Chiang Mai and then ultimately moving to Costa Rica? We know that in Chiang Mai, our time pretty much there is done. We had a friend that comes with making sure that you incorporate yourself into the local because we had done that and had friends. We had a neighbor that was able to go and pack up our whole house for us. He was able to deal with landlords. He was able to go and turn our cable service off for us. He used to feed our fish. When we were when we were gone, great relationship there. And so I was prepared to put it in storage. And he's like, oh, no, we'll just hold on to it for you. Whenever you come back, you can just get you can just get it. So we were very blessed there. Thailand won't necessarily be open until sometime next year. So we are prepared to stay here in Indonesia until January or February. And from there, we'll probably our next stop uh, is to go to Rwanda, where we have some friends and we'll be in Rwanda until until June or until we can maybe go back to Thailand to get our belongings. <laughs> but <laughs> we are coming back to America um, in June of 2021 because my mom is turning 90. And oh, uh, that's one birthday that I'm showing up for. <laughs> that's right. Amen yeah. to that. Yeah. And, and after that, because of the pandemic, we were scheduled to go to Europe for a year, but more than likely, we will probably just go straight to Costa Rica after we leave the States and be settled. I'd rather put down some roots for for a while before we get back out there, even though it has been a roller coaster ride of fun um, (laughs) in Indonesia and in Thailand. Again, we're able to pivot and make that pivot. So um, it's not crushing to us in any way, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Oh, my gosh. I just love your energy, your can-do spirit, and tenacity. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So where can people find you, Eve? So they can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm I'm always posting tips for for people that are are, are disabled there on 
how things are accessible, be it for a place I'm at right now or for the many places that I have traveled over the years. Uh, and if I could ever just stop being lazy, uh, I guess you would call it, one day on my Instagram, they might see a link to my blog site. Uh, but they could catch me on Instagram at disabled.diva.travels. All of my little round the world shenanigans are there. And just one day, they just might see a link to my blog. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully by the time this episode airs, that link to your blog will be there, but no doubt for our listeners, we will post your information in the show notes for this episode. <laughs> I just want to say this has been an absolute delight speaking with you today and hearing about just your inspiring story and how persistent and determined you are to live the life of your dreams. So I'm just honored to hold this space for with you. And I know that your story has inspired so many different people. And so for that, I am in deep gratitude. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I just wanted everybody to know that no matter what your level of ability is, there are ways out there for you to be an expat with just a, a little bit of diligent research there are ways to make it happen on almost every type of budget with a little bit of planning, a little bit of research. It doesn't matter what your ability is physically, you can do it. Thank you for listening to the Blacksit Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksitglobal.com. Has this episode left you feeling inspired to begin your journey, but not quite sure where to start? Download our free guide with the top five questions you need to ask before planning your Blacksit. You can find that under the resources tab of our website. Remember, it's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.